You're listening to Version Control, Pounding Grain's digital news podcast. Welcome back to Version Control. Uh, I'm Scott. I'm here with Jackson. And Jackson, we've got two very, very special guests with us today. Do you want to introduce them for us? Long-time listener, first-time caller, we've got from uh, leading our strategy department, Penny! <laughs> Hi, Penny. Why, why have you been snubbing the podcast all these years? <laughs> well, I, you, I feel like you're breaking the mold of the podcast to stay on theme by bringing me in, so. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, and to join our Motley crew today, we also have, what did, what did we determine his title was, Scott? It, it does say on Slack that it says hashtag professional nerd. Hashtag professional nerd. Um, <laughs> part-time developer, I guess that makes him. Uh, Cam. Hey, hey guys. Um, so today's topic is going in line with our monthly theme. We're talking about breaking the mold. And when we're, when we're kind of referring to that, what we're, sp- what we're talking about is sort of people, projects, campaigns, brands, things that do things a little bit, that did things a little bit differently. And in doing so really kind of changed the game, not necessarily just for everybody, but for, for us personally, who kind of work in this weird and wonderful industry. And the reason we kind of landed on this topic for the month, I think, is because, I mean, as an agency, uh, as Pound and Grain, I mean, even just from its origins, we, we've done things very differently than your typical marketing agency. And I think we can all kind of attest to that. Um, and we're kind of living proof from the fact that there is no very specific process for everything, or there's no specific rules that everybody has to follow in order to make really interesting, cool projects. Um, we build teams differently. We have projects. We do like different types of projects for different clients. Um, and it's really fun that way. Uh, so we just kind of wanted to, to to call attention to some of the stuff that we've done and some of the stuff that we kind of respect out there. Um, so, I mean, the, just to kind of kick things off, like, why don't we just kind of talk a little bit about, you know, either a brand or a campaign or even a person that really kind of exemplifies that idea of breaking the mold. Um, Penny, why don't you kick us off? Cool. Yeah. Um, I think just to start with a rule breaker that I, I love. Uh, it would be uh, RuPaul, Mother Ru, um, and also the amazing queens that she has shone a light on through RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, I absolutely adore all um, the, uh, the, the um, shows that she's created, but also just how she has championed uh, an incredible kind of cultural movement around um, uh, drag and how it's become almost mainstream. And we were lucky enough to obviously work a little bit in that world without TV, one of our clients. But um, yeah, I'm now an avid watcher and uh, a big fan of Nina West and Unica, who's the who's the latest to um, be on RuPaul's Drag Race this year. So uh, yeah, I would, I would love that. And I, I was gonna say that one of the reasons I also think it's really relevant to what we do is that each and every one of those drag queens has had to build a brand. I think it's an ama- they're amazing examples of someone bring, building a personality, a brand, a whole look. I mean, and they're so, so talented. And when you see them on RuPaul's Drag Race, you know, in isolation, a drag queen always stands out, but on RuPaul's Drag Race, they've got to stand out among all the drag queens. So it's it's just this incredible example of people being so talented at building this persona. And I just think it's a, an amazing um, spectacle to watch and uh, enjoy and uh, really understand more about I think you hit something like right on the head, right, right off the bat, which is great. Cause not only, I mean, from a content perspective, did that really change the game just visually in the stories that they tell, but that really took a total different route in the construct of reality TV. 
um, and specifically competition reality TV. We've seen people build things. We've seen people survive on islands. We've seen people live in houses, but this is a complete sort of performance based um, reality competition. And it definitely paved the way for things like masked anything these days where, you know, masked singer, masked dancer, none of that stuff would exist without Drag Race, I think. It was definitely like a, a game changer in that. I think mm -hmm. the other thing I, I love about Drag Race is um, they pull in some amazing themes, some really um, important themes. They talk about men's anorexia, they talk about mental health, they talk about um, the, some of the drag queens' parents do not know what they do, their relationships, how they've built them, the, the, um, the, the drag houses that have been created, who has supported them, and you know, even, and also some of the discrimination they faced. And uh, you know, even some of them um, had to escape countries um, because um, of their lives were threatened. threatened. It, it's an amazing tool. You know, it's an amazing um, uh, show for actually raising these issues in an incredibly moving way. And you really just build that relationship with them. So I think it's such an important show. It's not just, you know, you can look at it on a light, uh, on a light level and say, oh, it's just makeup and dresses and dancing. It's, it's just so much deeper than that for me. So you mentioned that, um, and I was lucky enough to be able to work with you on this project, that we, we got to the opportunity to kind of work on a project that was uh, loosely involved with, um, with Drag Race. Um, so were you a fan of the show before that? Or was there a particular moment where you were either doing research for the project where, like, where something clicked and you're like, this is different in, in, in like the best way possible? 100%. Yeah, it was totally um, working without TV. I started doing research and I started watching it. And actually, it got me through some of my maternity leaps because I got so hooked. I just started watching all the series. So, like, Binge time. <laughs> time. <laughs> Great watching. Um, but yeah, I just got, um, I just started um, starting to understand the characters and I really wanted to under the understand the culture really well. And I wanted to embed myself in that culture really and understand it in a, in a, in a, in a really um, deep way so obviously having to watch that um also watching support documentaries like Paris is Burning which is all about the drag scene in, in the 19, late 1970s um but then um uh, yeah and so that's really got what got me hooked um but also then we were able to with a TV work on on the Dragula show and promote that which was really exciting too um Cam what's an example for you of like when when you were either working on something or watching something or seeing something out there and then all of a sudden like a light went off and went on in your head and you're like this is different than something you know that i've ever experienced or seen and this is this is going to change things for everybody uh like in terms of content or like anything okay well i mean i got to agree with penny like um you know uh she was talking about being so deeply involved with the out tv project and um it was pretty cool for me as well because i got to kind of take the the back end of all of penny's work and actually kind of implement that and and bring it to life for like the dragula pages and out the out tv site and stuff um and uh you know i, I think as an agency it was really cool to kind of see um that brand come to life because I feel like uh, we really nailed it uh, with with that site. That's one site that I, I really feel like the kind of branding and overall look and feel of the site just really came together to kind of support that content. And it just really feels like a, a really cohesive unit. Um, but uh, in terms of some some content, like like I said, I, I do have to agree with Penny. There's some pretty incredible things that are coming out of uh, the kind of drag scene these days. Um, and I think uh, one thing that Penny kind of touched on that I wanted to just loop back on for a second is um, the way that she was talking about each of the individual artists kind of building their own brand and persona on social. And I think there's a really interesting kind of phenomenon within the drag scene where 
um, it really kind of blurs the lines between life and performance. You know, it's like you really, these, these performers have built such incredible personas around themselves that it's like, you almost, the, the, the performer or the artist persona almost becomes like who that person is. And I think there's a really interesting dynamic that kind of occurs in that space where it's like, is, is the is the drag personality really who this person is? You know, is that really who they are? And I, I think that's one of the things that make them such incredible performers and make it so entertaining to watch. So um, yeah, I, I definitely have to agree with you there. Jackson, you big drag race fan as well? I am. I mean, like, it's not my normal uh, lowbrow reality TV. So, <laughs> um, you know, when I'm in the gutter of below deck and um, Southern charm. It's just not as high art as a uh, dragway race. Um, one thing that I was thinking about when Penny and Cam were talking about um, it just in terms of breaking the mold then, and, and it's kind of adjacent to this because I know some of the um, drag personalities are on the platform, but it's cameo. And I know like at Pound of Grain, we've had lots of like fun ordering up some cameo because we haven't been able to be together as a team for 10, 10 months, nine months, whatever, Something years, like that. eight years, whatever it's been. Um, but I think it's, it's kind of an interesting sort of part of this discussion on, you know, pop and celebrity culture. Um, and those things have been so intertwined with our kind of like lives for so long. Um, this idea of bringing fans closer to their, you know, idols and their favorite athletes and their favorite 80s bands stars is is really quite something. And, and one example, um, I, do I have to explain Cameo, do you think? I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think most of our listeners are- yeah, You pay and, a small amount to yeah. get a video, a direct video um, to yourself or your friends or your loved ones from whoever they have on the platform. And they have thousands and thousands of celebrities from- a level to F level, maybe, <laughs> depending on what you're in the mood for. Uh, Mark McGrath is the best. So I'll just say that right now. He is incredible. Uh, cameo, $99, best $99 you'll ever spend on a cameo. Um, the, the thing that I was th thought was really interesting that, um, that Kevin from The Office, you know, cleared over a million dollars on cameo in 2020. The chili guy. Is that, is that is that is that real? That's no real. Way. Yeah, wow. he's the wow. number, number one personality on Cameo because he just he was just like I can do this. I think it. What we're kind of alluding to is that like there is this sort of like undertone of of a personal brand, and in terms of changing the game and in, in terms of personal branding, it's weird because I would say like you know even as soon as maybe. 15 years ago, the idea of a personal brand seemed kind of like outrageous, but at some point it became absolutely normal and for a lot of people essential, um, which is interesting, right? Like it's, it's kind of like this, uh, this sort of like groundbreaking aspect to, to look at not only um, from a sales and a marketing perspective, but also just like from a personality perspective, which is very different from how we used to look at things before. It's sort of, I feel like it's sort of evolved. I, for me, the big uh, change was when Instagram went from just, you know, pictures to um, having the stories, which suddenly you, you, you went from being this able, uh, effectively a curator, you had this curated grid to someone, people could just look into your lives. And, and Instagrammers 
immediately adopted that and some people have flourished and that's what they love but it's incredibly intrusive intrusive into their lives and so they've had to bring this sort of brand personality to life and then the next evolution of that is is platforms like cameo where i've got this personality i've got this group of people who love me how do i how do i get even more monetary funding for that and uh, mm-hmm. is interesting and then only fans what's your thought on only only fans scott my thought i have no idea what that is you have no idea what that is <laughs> no i know what that is <laughs> <laughs> um you know what I, I think it's actually brilliant i really do I, I because there there is this sort of there was a middle person for that particular industry that's now being cut out uh, and a lot of people were getting hurt and it was becoming very dangerous for a lot of people. And I think this is not solving the problem, um, but it's allowing uh, creators and to have a direct, have direct access with their fans. And if they want to create things for them in a particular way, they should be able to do so. Um, but I think just sort of, yeah. And I, that is, a, that also was a huge game changer is, is only fans. If we're going to go there, um, oh, which I yeah. think it was, it's really going to open things up in the future for not just that particular industry, but I think, the idea of creating something personal for somebody else for, for a fee. Um, and which is kind of funny because I, Penny, you used Fiverr for Christmas, um, I did. which was, a, that was it for those, for the, for, for context, um, we had a secret Santa at Panagrain and Penny used Fiverr and got is some guy in Japan to do a rap about Graham, which is, <laughs> which, is which is, it just blew everybody away. Um, Amazing. But in terms of like, yeah, you, you, you really changed the, the secret Santa game forever with that. Um, but like that tent to me was like the start of that kind of in the, that territory on, on, on that connection. And, you know, and then we get into things like cameo and get into things like only fans. And I think it's only going to get closer and closer to bring sort of people with personal brands closer to their, to their fans. I think the interesting thing about like cameo and only fans is just to bring it back to like the marketing angle, then Kevin and his stupid chili, but he made a million dollars in a year, probably more than he made as a bit player on the office. And it's adjacent to a show that has not been on the air since 2013. So like eight years, but the week before Christmas, The Office was the number two. It normally is the number one show on streaming on a week-to-week basis. It had 57 billion minutes of streaming in 2020. <laughs> and then the week before Christmas, it had uh, 1.3 billion minutes viewed um, just in one week, um, in the week right, right before December 24th. Um, Again, a show that has not been on air in eight years. So I can see this, this, this sort of second coming of streaming for older shows being supported by, you know, binge watching and then being able to actually like get videos from the people in those shows at like a really fan engagement rate. I mean, imagine what in like five years after the run of The Mandalorian, which is the number one streaming show. Now, the first time it hasn't been Netflix since Nielsen started tracking streaming on a weekly basis um imagine in five years when the mandalorian's done its run and you know the guy who puppeted grogu is like (laughs) on cameo and people are still streaming binge streaming it on disney in perpetuity i mean i think like that's an interesting 
thing for marketers. They're not spending money on like TV spots. They're not spending money on like promoting the show anymore. It just lives on as like this piece of culture that is perpetuated um, in interesting ways in new platforms. Podcast, the podcast ladies, like the uh, um, Jenna Fisher and I forget her, Angela. Yeah. Her, her real name um, do like, they're doing the whole series and doing a podcast for every episode. So like there's a whole cottage industry of sort of micro celebrity influencers that surround all this digital properties now, which is really interesting. I am. Um, there was something I wanted to just kind of touch on um, that I think is like a really important kind of trend across the industry. You know, um, Scott and Penny, you guys were really just kind of touching on this with, and Jackson as well, with like these kind of touch points in Cameo and OnlyFans. And I think it really is about this drive towards authenticity. I think for a long time, audiences have been so hyper saturated with marketing that, and we've become so sensitive to it now where marketing even if it's perceived as marketing is like just ignored you know it doesn't gain traction with people and um i think that these the push for these platforms and the push towards having a greater connection with these sort of celebrities performers you know like you're like you were saying jackson i like that term the micro celebrity um you know uh like look at the traction of the sword and scale podcast you know like joe rogan on youtube and spotify um you know and i think that the reason why those creators are so successful is because they feel authentic and um i think that that's that's really what's driving the the kind of shift towards these platforms and away from the traditional media you know I, I think it's just that 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 hunger that we all have to feel like we're truly engaging with someone you know I think that makes a really point um Cam I was just I was just going to add to that to say what I think is really interesting as well is instead of uh instead of someone wanting to appeal to um everyone people are focused on a specific community and so you're finding people you know, they're, they're happy to be quirky and authentic themselves, knowing that they're going to have some haters, but they're going to have this group of absolute people who love them. And therefore, you know, you know, platforms like OnlyFans or Cameo, if, you know, if, if they can connect with that small group, you know, they, they can still, you know, get, get funding for that. So I think it's kind of interesting, um, you know, that, that no, no need to mass um, appeal to everyone, but I'm happy to appeal just to people who get me. Mm -hmm. And that it's so funny you mentioned that, Penny, because it would like that and coupled with the the point about authenticity that Cam brought up, it just it literally just reminds me of a project that I think at least Penny and Jackson I definitely worked on um, was for um, a weight loss program client that we had, and Penny did the initial strategy, and you know we we were initially talking about well doing ads and and you know you know interesting like ways to connect with um, with potential members of 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 the program. And then I, I distinctly remember Penny asking why we're not talking to members. I'd like current members. And that just kind of like the light went off in all of our heads. And we said, that is the idea. It's not to tell people from a marketing standpoint, how great something is. It's to get the people that are doing it to talk about their actual stories. And for us, like for me in particular, like that was the first campaign that I ever worked on where it felt less about let's make sure we're, you know, we need to hit all these points. And the only point that we wanted to hit was truth and, and, and authenticity and getting these people to tell their stories on what it was like to be in a particular program like this. And, you know, ultimately it worked too. And it was a very successful program. Um, we're really proud of that stuff, but that was for me from a project standpoint, that was a game changer because it kind of 
for me allowed me allowed me to realize that like it's if a mirror is a great tactic to come up with good ideas. Um, yeah. Cam, you kind of mentioned to me in in passing once that there is a, a couple projects on the PNG side that you worked on as well that were kind of like game changers for you, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, uh, working in the sort of technology side of things, I think uh, my life probably changes a lot more dramatically uh, on a on a kind of time timeline basis than um, you know we maybe see in the in the marketing space. Although, hey, maybe that's just I don't know. Maybe that's just me being a nerd talking. But um, yeah, I think there's there's kind of constant challenges and and kind of evolutions um, that we have to go through, and I think. Uh, especially with like the fantastic creative team that we have at the agency, um, you know, that creative team really drives us to, to sort of push out of the boundaries in a lot of cases. And um, I think one of the things that I really enjoy on the sort of technology side is, is finding a balance, you know, between being able to push the boundaries, but also to be able to actually achieve our goals for our clients. And um, I think that's something that we're really good at is kind of threading that middle ground of like innovation, but also providing value, you know, um, I think one of the things that I've seen in the past is there's a lot of uh, really, really incredible kind of marketing sites out there, but they don't necessarily bring a lot of value. Like I think, and again, we've kind of come through that era of, um, you know, it really started with like flash back in the day. I think <laughs> I'm showing my age right now. Um, Hang on, I'm still downloading I, shockwave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shockwave player still downloading. Um, and uh, you know, we kind of saw that, right. Like, like, you know, marketing campaigns are really based around like, what is this cool thing that we could do, right? And I think it, 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 that's one of the things that kind of took us away from that level of authenticity. And I think now it's sort of about how can we, how can we really infuse our brand's personality into our projects and do things that are technologically progressive, um, but still deliver great value for the clients. Cam, do you remember, and one of the first projects we did with Arcturix, I remember um, a really different shape coming with the teams where we put, I remember the dev sitting right with the designers and literally just working through how they made that experience. And the designer being like, is this possible? And the dev being like, right, yeah, let's try that. And then he would do an effect. And it was amazing. Like, I remember just that shift on how we were working, which was quite, you know, the traditional way is very siloed to actually mm -hmm. bring those together and I know that's you know a model that we now follow I don't know if you want to talk a bit more about that yeah for sure I mean um I think the collaboration between design and dev like it's something that I've been very fortunate to sort of be a part of right from the beginning of my career I had some really great mentors that sort of really pushed the importance of that and um I think it's something that I've definitely carried forward in my career and um, you know, you were speaking just a second ago, a Penny, about like Arteryx, and I think our Arteryx projects are one of the kind of projects we do that the most with, um, you know, like work directly with the design team. Um, you know, it, it specifically, I can remember building the, uh, <laughs> we refer to it as the manufacturing site, but uh, Arteryx called it who we are. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, that section of their site, it has a very different sort of user experience flow to it, something we weren't actually sure that we could really do and kind of pull off with accessibility and, you know, all the kind of things that go along with that in mind. And, um, you know, for that, there was, there was so much collaboration between design and dev. We literally like, I mean, Graham was at my desk, like, four hours a day for a week just just prototyping this thing and seeing if we could get it to move the right way and we could get the kind of page transitions just the way we wanted and um yeah there's there's been a really a real drive uh towards that kind of collaboration with within our offices and i, I think it's something that uh is so so important to making really great quality products it's so interesting because like now if we if we don't do it that way it's weird 
right? Yeah. Like it, <laughs> yeah. Cause it's so like that changed things into just to like how we just right down to the, to the, to like the theory of how we work is, is, is collaborating through that entire process, which is um, crazy if you think about it. Cause especially knowing that, you know, in the traditional model, they just don't, people just don't do that, which is to me is nuts. Like <laughs> to not collaborate is crazy. Yeah, if, if I may offer a, a tale from my olden days in the in the agency <laughs> world, uh, the very first agency I worked at, I was hired as a designer, actually, and uh, I, I had been tasked to design this site, and uh, I wanted to do a, a kind of much more complex drop-down menu, like kind of a, a Mega Nav style, and so I was asking my boss, I'm like, can we, can we actually do this? Can we execute on this? And the boss is like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't really, haven't really seen that yet. I mean, this is obviously back in the day when <laughs> things like this were a little more complicated. So I went to the developer and I just walked over to him and I kind of said, Hey, you know, I emailed you this mock-up, like, could you take a look at it and tell me if this is something we can do? And the developer looked at me like I was a crazy person. He was like, you're a designer. Like, what are you even doing over here? And, um, you know, I think that just, that really illustrates like how far we've kind of come in, in terms of process that, you know, our, our two teams are like, like even strategy, you know, I think uh, within the agency as a whole, like the teams are, are really well integrated. And I think there's a great kind of flow um, through strategy onto creative and, and into development. So, yeah, I think it's just the timing of everything right now. It's, it's like ripe for game changers because we're, we're forced to do things differently now which I think is, you know, not great at all the time, but for things like this, I think it's kind of cool um, just to see where, pe how people are solving problems, how people are coming up with like interesting ways to, you know, yeah, solve problems and, and for different solutions and stuff. So I got to ask about something because I feel like a lot of things you guys are talking about are kind of feeding into this. I have to ask what you guys think about Tesla. You know, we're kind of talking about brands that like break the mold a little bit. And in terms of advertising, one thing that I find so interesting about Tesla is that they don't really advertise that they're, and like, yet they're wildly successful. I don't, I don't know about where you guys are, but like literally half the cars on the road where I live are Teslas right now. It's insane. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're kind of talking about like the need for disruption and the need for change. And I think, you know, obviously with environmental issues going the way they are, like, I think that they're an incredible sort of force for change. Um, and yet, I love it that they don't really market and yet they're so wildly successful. People want their products like crazy. And I think that that's so cool. It's like, they're, they're really almost just allowing their product to be their marketing. They make a product so good that it's, <laughs> that people just want it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm interested to hear what you guys kind of, kind of think about that. Honestly, I, me, my, I hate the fill up experience. I hate how cold and miserable it is filling up a car of gas, I would immediately buy a Tesla just based on the terrible fuel station experience. Uh, and, and the added exposure that you get from COVID and, uh, oh, just awful. So like, even like when you come down to it, the behavior change that that uh, car lets you do, like is so inviting that whole ownership experience is really interesting. And um, yeah, that's why mm -hmm. I think so well. And it's funny, Cam, you mentioned that like, you know, a product does its own marketing. It's, it's weird how we think of this as innovation now when a product itself should function, <laughs> it should do what it's supposed to do. Um, yeah. So maybe we've just been tuned to think that, you know, certain things in marketing are purely there to sell you on something, um, which, you know, isn't necessarily a lie, um, but it is interesting to kind of think of Tesla in particular 
in letting their product speak for itself. And then, and in that sense, it's definitely breaking away from a traditional method of yeah, getting, you know, from a marketing perspective. I, I would, um, I would say it's like very similar to Apple, although like Apple does spend money on like traditional advertising. It's the same model of like hype based things, like looking at the Cybertrucks like website now, like if you were a copywriter for Apple or Tesla, the gobbledygook of like kind of marketing speak of like what you're getting from an iPhone is like the same, it's cut from the same cloth. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> you know, we've reinvented the iPhone again. And you're like, okay, that's great. But like people, it creates that desire. Mm -hmm. I, th I think the bigger thing about Tesla, which when they started, which was the game changer was disrupting the crap, like Penny mentioned the crappy fill up experience, which isn't that crappy because you get to go, it's crappier in Canada. In the U S it's better because you get to go to a gas station convenience store and they have like the best food and snacks and stuff. And that's like <laughs> integral to the driving experience. It's less so here when all you're getting is, is Tim Hortons and like Canadian hypothermia, low grade Canadian, <laughs> Canadian chocolate instead of like good stuff. But when, when Tesla started and, and that you could, you could, get connected with them online like so much more rapidly than having to go to a dealer and that they'll like bring the car past your place for a test drive all those little things of like improving the experience are what like convince people of it and the interesting thing is like all of that stuff has nothing to do with like the game changing like environmental pluses of yeah, going electric yeah. <laughs> because no one really wants to talk about the fact that that it's really not that environmentally better um, because that energy is coming from somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let alone the environmental impacts of producing electric cars. Exactly. You know, um, exactly. But, but, but no yeah. one wants to talk about those details. It's yeah. Like, it's wondering where like the beautiful Apple um, um, phones come out of um, uh, shops in, in China, right? You don't want to know how the sausage gets made. You just want the product, which is brilliant marketing at the end of the day. It's interesting you talk about the the sort of eco side and that it, you know there's a sort of element of badging with tesla and being you know i'm, I'm a tesla driver therefore i'm automatically eco-friendly type thing i do think there's a <laughs> formative uh, it's a status so, symbol yeah exactly exactly and certainly the hybrid cars very much live, but like one hybrid car was deliberately designed quite oddly looking so people would very easily say oh they are in a hybrid they must be you know eco-conscious. Well, I think we're, we're interested in entering a really interesting phase of sort of the market um, in, in terms of products, you know, across the span, you know, um, in any industry where you have these really entrenched players in the industry. And I think for those really entrenched players, it's like the, the cost to sort of shift focus within that particular sector is like monumental. And so, um, you're starting to see these kind of up and comers, these startups that like, like we were saying are disrupting the, the industry because they're starting out with that in, from that point of innovation, you know? And I think that's exactly what we're going to start to see in the future is like more innovation. Like, I think that's, that's really what the market is going to start to ask for is, is more innovative products. Um, and, and like you said, <laughs> it'll start to be a bit of a battle between those kind of entrenched brands and, and the more kind of localized startups. That was awesome. Um, yeah, right. thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Thank really you, guys. Good.